Chapter Sixteen, Part Three of the Sea: Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril, and Heroism, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Sea: Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril, and Heroism, Volume One, by Frederick Wimper chapter sixteen the history of ships and shipping interests continued part three drake's plain course now was to make his way home and he wisely argued that it would be unsafe to attempt the voyage by the route he had come as the spaniards would surely attack him in full force the whole coast of chile and peru being aroused to action he conceived the bold notion of rounding north america in other words he proposed to make that passage which has been the great dream of arctic explorers and which has only as we shall hereafter see been once made and that in a very partial sense by franklin and mcclure his company agreed to his views firstly to refit water and provision the ship in some convenient bay thenceforward says one of them to hasten on our intended journey for the discovery of the said passage through which we might with joy return to our longed homes they sailed for nicaragua near the mainland of which they found a small island with a suitable bay where they obtained wood water and fish a small prize was taken while there having on board a cargo of sarsaparilla which they disdained and butter and honey which they appropriated drake now sailed northward and most undoubtedly reached the grand bay of san francisco californian authorities concede this the drake's bay of the charts is an open roadstead and does not answer the descriptions given of the great navigator's visit he had peaceful interviews with the natives and took possession in the fashion of those days of the country setting up a monument of the queen's right and title to the same namely a plate nailed upon a fair great post whereupon was engraven her majesty's name the day and year of our arrival there together with her highness's picture and arms and a piece of sixpence of current english money under the plate where under also was written the name of our general history does not tell us the fate of that sixpence but the title new albion bestowed on the country by drake remained on the maps halfway into this century or just before the discovery of gold in california the natives regarded the english with superstitious awe and could not be prevented from offering them sacrifices with lamentable weeping scratching and tearing the flesh from their faces with their nails whereof issued abundance of blood but we used says the narrator quoted by hackloyd signs to them of disliking this and stayed their hands from force and directed them upwards to the living god whom only they ought to worship after remaining there five weeks drake took his departure and the natives watched the ships sadly as they sailed and kept fires burning on the hilltops as long as they continued in sight 
good store of seals and birds were taken from the Farallone Islands. Many an egg has the writer eaten, laid by the descendants of those very birds. They are supplied in quantities to the San Francisco markets. Drake's attempt at the northern passage was now abandoned. Sixty-eight days was Drake's ship, containing one of the most valuable freights ever held in one bottom, in the open sea, during which time no land was sighted. At the end of this period, the Pelu, Philippine, and Molucca Islands were successively reached. At Ternate, Drake sent a velvet cloak as a present to the king, requesting provisions, and that he might be allowed to trade for spices. The king was amiable and well disposed. He sent before him four great and large canoes, in every one whereof were certain of his greatest states that were about him, attired in white lawn of cloth of calicut, having over their heads, from the one end of the canoe to the other, a covering of thin perfumed mats, borne up with a frame made of reeds for the same use, under which every one did sit in his order, according to his dignity to keep him from the heat of the sun. The rest were soldiers, which stood in comely order, round about on both sides, without whom sat the rowers in certain galleries, which, being three on a side all along the canoes, did lie off from the side thereof three or four yards, one being orderly builded lower than another, in every of which galleries were fourscore rowers. These canoes were furnished with warlike munitions, every man, for the most part, having his sword and target with his dagger, besides other weapons, as lances, calivers, darts, bows, and arrows. Also every canoe had a small cast base, or cannon, mounted at the least one full yard upon a stock set upright. These canoes or galleys were rowed about the ship, those on board doing homage as they passed, the king soon arrived in state and was received with a salute of great guns, with trumpets sounding, and such politic display of state and strength as Drake knew it was advisable to exhibit. Many presents were made to the king, who in return sent off provisions of rice, fowls, fruits, sugarcane, and imperfect and liquid sugar, presumably molasses. Next day there was a grand reception ashore. The king, covered with gold and jewels, under a rich canopy embossed with gold, professing great friendship. The fact was that his own father had been assassinated by the Portuguese, and he himself had besieged and taken their Fort St. Paul's, and compelled them to leave it. He was doubtless anxious for some alliance, which might strengthen his hands against the Portuguese. Drake, however, had no commission nor desire at that time to engage his country to any such treaty. His principal object now was to get home safely with his treasure. He, however, successfully traded for a quantity of cloves and provisions. Off Celebes, the hind became entangled among the shoals, and while running under full sail, suddenly struck on a rock, where she stuck fast. Boats were got out to see whether an anchor might not be employed to draw the ship off, but the water all around was very deep, no bottom being found. Three tons of cloves, eight guns, and certain stores were thrown overboard, 
but to no purpose. Fuller says quaintly that they threw overboard as much wealth as would break the heart of a miser to think on't, with much sugar and packs of spices, making a caudle of the sea round about. Then they betook themselves to their prayers, the best lever at such a dead lift indeed, and it pleased God that the wind, formerly their mortal enemy, became their friend. To the joy of all, the hind glided off the rocks, and almost uninjured. On the way home they visited Barateva, Java, the Cape, and Sierra Leone, being singularly fortunate in avoiding the Portuguese and Spanish ships. The hind arrived safely at Plymouth on September 26th, having been nearly three years on her eventful voyage. Drake was received with great honor and was knighted by the Queen. She gave orders that his little ship should be laid up at Deptford, and there carefully preserved as a monument of the most remarkable voyage yet made. Elizabeth honored Drake by banqueting on board, and his fame spread everywhere through the kingdom. The boys of Westminster School set up Latin verses on the mainmast, of which Southey gives the following free translation. On Hercules' pillars, Drake, thou mayest plus ultra write full well, and say, I will in greatness, that great Hercules excel. And again, Sir Drake, whom well the world's end knows, which thou didst compass round, and whom both poles of heaven once saw which north and south do bound. The stars above will make thee known if men here silent were. The sun himself cannot forget his fellow traveller. Drake's series of victories over the Spaniards and the repulse which occurred just before his death are details of history which would fill a volume. He received a sailor's funeral at Porto Bello, his body being committed to the deep in a leaden coffin, with the solemn service of the English church, rendered more impressive by volleys of musketry and the bombing of guns from all the fleet. A poet of the day says, The waves became his winding sheet, the waters were his tomb, but for his fame the ocean sea was not sufficient room. No single name in naval history has ever attained the celebrity acquired by Drake. The Spaniards who called him a dragon believed that he had dealings with the devil. That notion, says Southey, prevented them from feeling any mortification at his successes, and it enhanced their exultation over the failure of his last expedition, which they considered as a triumph of their religion over heresy and magic. The common people in England itself, more especially in the western counties, believed any quantity of fables concerning him, some of them verging on childishness. He had only to cast a chip in the water when it would become a fine vessel. It was not by his skill as an engineer and the munificent expenditure of the wealth which he had so daringly obtained that Drake supplied Plymouth with fresh water but by mounting his horse, riding about Dartmoor till he came to a spring sufficiently copious for his design, then wheeling ground, pronouncing some magical words, and galloping back into the town with the stream in full flow, and forming its own channel at the horse's heels. 
one of the popular stories regarding him is briefly as follows when sir francis left on one of his long voyages he told his wife that he should not return within a certain number of years she might conclude that he was dead and might if she so chose wed again one version places the time at seven and another at ten years during these long years the excellent lady remained true to her lord but at the end of the term accepted an offer one of drake's ministering spirits whose charge it was to convey to him any intelligence in which he was nearly concerned brought him the tidings immediately he loaded one of his great guns and fired it right through the globe on one side and up on the other with so true an aim that it made its way into the church between the two parties most concerned just as the marriage service was beginning it comes from drake cried the wife to the now unbrided bridegroom he is alive and there must be neither troth nor ring between thee and me drake is described as of low stature but well set and of an admirable presence his chest was broad his hair not brown his beard handsome and full his head remarkably round his eyes large and clear his countenance fresh cheerful and engaging it has been said of him that he was a willing hearer of every man's opinion but commonly a follower of his own which as a rule was really sure to be judicious he had a quick temper and once offended was hard to be reconciled but his friendships were firm he was ambitious to the last degree and the vanity which usually accompanies that sin laid him open to flattery he was affable with his men who idolized him as the grand commander and skillful seaman that he most undoubtedly was in spite of the rich prizes so often taken a competent authority says the expeditions undertaken in elizabeth's reign against the spaniards are said to have produced no advantage to england in any degree commensurate with the cost of money and expense of life with which they were performed but we must never forget the wonderful development of the navy which resulted the splendid training acquired by our sailors and the grand gains to geographical science the opening of colonization and trade with america so far as england is concerned is due to sir humphrey gilbert and his stepbrother sir walter raleigh from their comparatively insignificant attempts at settling parts of that vast northern continent what grand results have accrued the acorn has become a mighty wide-spreading oak sheltering the representatives of every nationality when sir humphrey gilbert proposed to queen elizabeth the settlement of a colony in the new world she immediately assented and granted him letters patent as comprehensive and wide-spreading as ever issued by papal sanction she accorded free liberty to him his heirs and assigns forever to discover and take possession of any heathen and savage lands not being actually possessed by any christian prince or people such countries and all towns castles or villages to be holden by them of the crown payment of the fifth of all the gold and silver or discovered being required by the latter the privileges seemed so great 
that very many gentlemen of good estimation drew unto sir humphrey to associate with him in so commendable an enterprise but divisions and feuds arose and gilbert went to sea only to become involved in a dangerous sea fight in which many of his company were slain and his ships were battered and disabled he was compelled to put back with the loss of a tall ship the records of this encounter are meagre but the disaster retarded for the time his attempt at colonization besides impairing his estate sir humphrey's patent was only for six years unless he succeeded in his project and in fifteen eighty three he found means to equip a second expedition to which raleigh contributed a bark of two hundred tons named after him the little fleet numbering in all five vessels the queen had always favored gilbert and before he departed on this voyage sent him a golden anchor with a large pearl on it by the hands of raleigh in the letter accompanying it raleigh wrote brother i have sent you a token from her majesty an anchor guided by a lady as you see and further her highness willed me to send you word that she wished you as great a good hap and safety to your ship as if she herself were there in person desiring you to have care of yourself as of that which she tendereth and therefore for her sake you must provide for it accordingly further she commandeth that you leave your picture with me elizabeth's direct interest in the rapidly increasing maritime and commercial interests of the day was very apparent in all her actions bark raleigh was the largest vessel of the expedition two of the others being of forty and one of twenty tons only the number of those who embarked was about two hundred and sixty and the list included carpenters shipwrights masons and smiths also mineral men and refiners it is admitted that among them there were many who had been taken as pirates in the narrow seas instead of being hanged according to their deserts for solace of our people says one of the captains under gilbert and allurement of the savages we were provided of music in good variety not omitting the least toys as morris dancers hobby horse and may like conceits to delight the savage people whom we intended to win by all fair means possible the period of starting being somewhat late in the season it was determined to sail first for newfoundland instead of cape florida as at the former gilbert knew that he could obtain abundant supplies from the numerous ships employed in the abundant cod fisheries the voyage was to commence in disaster they sailed on june eleventh and two days later the men of the bark raleigh hailed their companions with the information that their captain and many on board were grievously sick she left them that night and put back to plymouth where it is stated she arrived with a number of the crew prostrated by a contagious disease some mystery attaches to this defection the others proceeded on their way not a little grieved with the loss of the most puissant ship in their fleet two of the fleet parted company in fog one of them was found in the bay of conception her men in new apparel and particularly well provided the secret being that they had boarded an unfortunate newfoundland ship on the way and had pretty well rifled it 
not even stopping at torture where the wretched sailors had objected to be stripped of their possessions the other vessel was found lying off the harbor of st john's where at first the english merchants objected to gilbert's entry till he assured them that he came with a commission from her majesty and had no ill intent on the way in his vessel struck on a rock whereupon the other captains sent to the rescue saved the ship and fired a salute in his honor his first act was to tax all the ships for his own supply the portuguese in particular contributed liberally so that the crews were presented above their allowances with wines marmalades most fine rusk or biscuit sweet oil and sundry delicacies then the merchants and masters were assembled to hear his commission read in possession of the harbor and country for two hundred leagues every way was taken in the name of the queen a wooden pillar was erected on the spot and the arms of england engraved on lead were affixed the lands lying on the water-side were granted to certain of the adventurers and merchants they covenanting to pay rent and service to gilbert his heirs and assigns for ever some of the before-mentioned pirates of the expedition gave sir humphrey a considerable amount of trouble while at st john's some deserting and others plotting to steal away the ship by night a number of them stole a ship laden with fish setting the crew on shore when ready to sail he found that there were not sufficient hands for all his vessels and the swallow was left for the purpose of transporting home a number of the sick he selected for himself the smallest of his fleet the squirrel described as a frigate of ten tons as most suitable for exploring the coasts but that which made him of good heart was a sample of silver ore which one of his miners had discovered he doubted not to borrow ten thousand pounds of the queen for his next voyage upon the credit of this mine for eight days they followed the coast towards cape breton at the end of which time the wind rose bringing thick fog and rain so that they could not see a cable's length before them they were driven among shoals and breakers and their largest ship was wrecked in a moment they in the other vessel says hayes saw her strike and her stern presently beaten to pieces whereupon the frigate in which was the general and the golden hind cast about even for our lives into the wind's eye because that way carried us to the seaward making out from this danger we sounded one while seven fathoms then five then four and less again deeper immediately four fathom then but three the sea going mightily and high at last we recovered god be thanked in some despair to see room enough all that day and part of the night we beat up and down as near unto the wreck as was possible but all in vain this was a heavy and grievous event to lose our chief ship freighted with great provision but worse was the loss of our men to the number of almost a hundred souls amongst whom was drowned a learned man a hungarian born in the city of buda called thereof budeus who out of piety and zeal to good attempts adventured in this action minding to record in the latin tongue the jests of things worthy of remembrance happening in this discovery to the honor of our nation 
here also perished our saxon refiner and discoverer of inestimable riches maurice brown the captain when advised to shift for his life in the pinnace refused to quit the ship lest it should be thought to have been lost through his default with this mind he mounted upon the highest deck where he attended imminent death and unavoidable how long i leave it to god who withdraweth not his comfort from his servants at such a time of the company only ten were saved in a small pinnace which was piloted to newfoundland meantime on board the remaining vessels there was much suffering and sir humphrey was obliged to yield to the general desire and sail for england having compassion upon his poor men in whom he saw no lack of good will but of means fit to perform the action they came for he promised his subordinate officers to set them forth royally the next spring if god should spare them but it was not so to be sir humphrey gilbert was entreated when one day he had come on board the hind to remain there instead of risking himself in the frigate which was overcharged with nettage and small artillery to which he answered i will not forsake my little company going homewards with whom i have passed so many storms and perils a short time afterwards while experiencing foul weather and terrible seas breaking short and high pyramid-wise men which all their life had occupied the sea never saw it more outrageous the frigate was nearly engulfed but recovered gilbert sitting abaft with a book in his hand cried out to the crew of the hind in the following noble words so often since recorded in poetry and prose courage my lads we are as near to heaven by sea as by land that same night the lights of the little vessel were suddenly missed and gilbert and his gallant men were engulfed in the depths for ever of such men we may appropriately say with the poet campbell the deck it was their field of fame and ocean was their grave the hind reached falmouth in safety though sadly shattered and torn but the spirit of enterprise then prevailing was not to be easily quashed and only a few months after the failure of poor gilbert's enterprise we find sir walter raleigh in the field he obtained letters of patent similar to those before mentioned and was aided by several persons of wealth particularly sir richard greenville and mr william saunderson two barks under captains amadas and barlow were sent to a part of the american continent north of the gulf of florida and after skirting the coast for one hundred and twenty miles a suitable haven was found the land round which was immediately taken for the queen with the usual formalities after sundry minor explorations they returned to england where they gave a glowing account of the country it was so full of grapes that the very beating and surge of the seas overflowed them the vegetation was so rich and abundant that one of the captains thought that in all the world the like abundance is not to be found while the woods were full of deer and smaller game the cedars were the highest and reddest in the world while among smaller trees was that bearing the rind of black cinnamon the inhabitants were kind and gentle and void of treason handsome and goodly people in their behavior as mannerly and civil as any of europe 
it is true that they had a moral malice against a certain neighboring nation that their wars were very cruel and bloody and that by reason thereof and of civil dissensions which had happened of late years amongst them the people were marvellously wasted and in some places the country left desolate these little discrepancies were passed over and elizabeth was so well pleased with the accounts brought home that she named the country virginia not merely because it was discovered in the reign of a virgin queen but because it did still seem to retain the virgin purity and plenty of the first creation and the people there primitive innocence these happy natives were described as living after the manner of the golden age as free from toil spending their time in fishing fowling and hunting and gathering the fruits of the earth which ripened without their care they had no boundaries to their lands nor individual property in cattle but shared and shared alike all this which was rather too good to be absolutely true seems to have been implicitly believed the letters of patent however granted to poor sir humphrey gilbert and subsequently to sir walter raleigh marked a most important epoch in the world's history for from those small starting points date the english efforts at colonizing america the great new world of the past the present and the future where then a few naked savages lurked and lazed fished and hunted forty millions of english-speaking people now dwell whose interests on and about the sea rising in importance every day are scarcely excelled by those of any nation on the globe except our own some points in connection with this colonization bearing as they do on the history of the sea and maritime affairs will be treated in the succeeding volume the reader who while living at home in ease has voyaged in spirit with the writer over so much of the globe's watery surface visiting its most distant shores will not be one of those who underrate the dangers of the seas nor will current events allow us to forget them the many voices of ocean as michelet puts it its murmur and its menace its thunder and its roar its wail its sigh rise from the watery graves of six hundred brave men who but a few weeks ago formed the bulk of two crews the one of a noble english frigate the other a splendid german ironclad both lost within sight of our own shores early in this volume wooden walls were compared with armored vessels and we are painfully reminded by the loss of both the eurydice and grosserkerfest how unsettled is the question in its practical bearings its discussion must be resumed as a part of the history of ships and shipping in the ensuing volume till then kind reader adieu end of chapter sixteen end of volume one end of the sea its stirring story of adventure peril and heroism volume one by Frederick Wimper.